one of our goals as a church is to do everything we can to help your children get to heaven. And, and so we invest a lot of time into children's ministry, a lot of resources into children and youth ministry. Statistics say that uh, someone uh, is going to decide to become a Christian 85% of people before they're 18 years old. But, but something we also want to add to that emphasis is uh, training our parents, all of us, because guess what? The church just has your child for a couple hours a week. You have them all week long. And so we want to somehow put those two things together of working with families and, and working with, with children and parents. Uh, often that's not really easy. Uh, sometimes you throw something for the family and you have child care for the children like we had last weekend, $10 for a weekend. I heard some people with the fear that people were going to drop their kids off and not go to the conference. I, I did read about a church that was having problems with that. And so they made the following announcement. They were having a movie night. They said this Friday night at 5 o'clock we're showing the magic of Lassie. And, and they said, you know, we're, there's free child care. But also, they're free puppies to be given to all children not accompanied by their parents. You see, we've we got to get together on this. So today, I want us to, to talk more about parenting. And I know for some of you, you might not think that, that directly impacts you, but everything we talk about today reflects the character of God and can be applied in your life. We're looking at that one passage in the New Testament, so succinct but so powerful, about parenting. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We found out last week that God's answer for us is not self-esteem, it's self-control. That for the family to work well, first of all, the parents have to be under control. Second, they have to bring the children under control. And so it's not self-esteem. There was a ballad a few years ago. You might call it the national anthem of self-esteem. It was sang by Whitney Houston. Do you know the name of the song? The greatest love of all, right? Do you know who Whitney was singing about in that song? Herself, okay? Listen to these words. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I've never found anyone who fulfilled all my needs. So I learned to depend on me. The greatest love of all is so easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. You see, the Bible would teach you to love yourself, but the Bible would never say to center on yourself. You're not the greatest love. You see, what this self-esteem movement has created is a humanism where I think all the answers are in me. If you just look deep enough, you've got the answers to everything in life. The problem with that is often you don't have the right answers. They're not in you. And so that's why we've got to listen to God's Word. And let's go back to that passage one more time. Ephesians 6, 4. And when you look up here, look at some of the words that are highlighted. Okay, we talked about last week, don't exasperate your children. Gave you a whole list of things. If you hadn't listened to that, I really would encourage you to listen to it. Now we get past the instead. Instead of exasperating your children, what do you do? He says here, you train them in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord. 
You bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. Now, a lot of translations use different words. Training and teaching, discipline and instruction, Old King James, nurture and admonition. They're two very different words that balance each other out. The first one is about disciplining and chastising and even punishing your children. The second is about counseling, nurturing, and even dialogue with your children. And so the Apostle Paul, through inspiration, says, you need that. So today we learn how to keep from exasperating our children. And we're going to talk about two balances and one point. First of all, there's got to be this balance between discipline and dialogue, okay? Discipline and dialogue. You see, your job is to prepare your children to leave your house and to be successful as Christians and as adults. Let's talk first of all about discipline. You must discipline your children. There's this crazy idea that America's bought into the last couple of decades that if I love my children enough, if I shower them with enough love, they're going to be okay. Now, the problem there is we've got the wrong definition of love. That just means I never say anything negative. I never discipline. I just, if I, and it feels so right just to love them. But we see today in the results in society, that's been the greatest social disaster in our history. Why? Because the Bible says children need discipline. Let's read a verse that would actually be offensive to many people in America today. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, there are places in America today, if your child went to school and said, my parents spanked me, you would be reported. But look back at this verse. Who is it, according to the wise man, who hates their children? It's the person who spares the rod. Who is it that loves their children? It's the person that disciplines them. You see, true love is not saying you can do whatever you want to and I don't care. True love is saying, you know what? I've got a job and I'm going to fulfill that job to help you be the person you ought to be. Then my grandmother, and I loved her name, her name was Granny Grace, and uh, she had a great translation of this verse. One of my brothers had decided not to spank his children. And uh, they were, he had a son that was just completely out of control. And I'll never forget the day my grandmother said to my brother Joel, Joel, you either spank him now or get him out of jail later. <laughs> and, and that's a good translation. And thank God my brother started spanking his child. He turned out to be a great young man. You see, God says this is an important part of what you do. But now understand this. So you don't exasperate your children. There needs to be a balance between discipline and dialogue. What's dialogue? It means that you listen to your children. The idea of this is that you reason with them. That you talk things out with them. You see, I, I thought um, Nathan had a great illustration last week about using the family table to learn how to talk. Because of this amazing invention of this phone today, we've got generations growing up who don't know how to carry on a conversation unless you as parents teach them to get off their phones and to actually talk in dialogue. And even when it comes to discipline, there's a place for dialogue. 
There's a place to say, you know what? I'm the parent, and I say this, and you, you violate this rule, and it's over. There's a place to say, you know what? I want to stop, and I want to explain to you why we're doing this. There's a place for reason, and this takes wisdom, okay? Now, so you got to have discipline, he says, but you also need to have dialogue. As much as possible, you need to explain to your children what you're doing. Now, at times, that's impossible, okay? Now, so you need this balance. Now, here's, I'm going to brag on Stephanie and I for a moment. We had the perfect balance of discipline and dialogue. I'm just telling you, okay? Stephanie disciplined, and I dialogued, okay? It was a great combination. I loved it. Well, after a while, we learned we had to come together on this because she was the law setter. She was the discipline. I mean, there was just no playing around. And I'm the one that said, oh, guys, let's all sit down and have a family discussion. And we would talk about things forever. The problem, I had a child just like me, my oldest child, Laura. And, man, we, it would, she would wear me out in these discussions. It would be hours of trying to come to a conclusion. And so we learned there's a place to say, let's talk about this. And there's also a place to say, you know what? We're the parents. We're not going to talk about this. Write some of these notes down. This is very important about discipline and dialogue. If you over-discipline, what you're saying is, I forget they are human. Listen, your children are not dogs to be trained, okay? They're human beings who need, if you want them to treat you with respect, you need to treat them with respect. But if you under-discipline, I forget they are not adults. No matter how much I might want to explain everything, there's certain things they won't get. God does a good job of explaining to us many of the things he does, but there's often areas of our life where we're asked to be obedient to God, and we're not going to understand it until we get to heaven. And so please, don't forget they're human, but also don't forget that they're not adults. They don't always have to understand everything that goes on. So you need that balance. That's the first thing. Balance between discipline and dialogue. Second, you need a balance between your child being dependent on you and your child being independent. Now, anybody who says that your child's not going to be dependent on you doesn't understand children. When children are born, they are completely dependent on you. They can't live with, without you. So you know you've got to start off with dependence. But this, this word here in the Greek, to raise, is an incremental word that says what you're trying to do is get them to the point where they're not dependent on you. You've not done a good job as a parent if they depend on you the rest of their life. And so as um, we learned at the seminar a couple of weeks ago, I've changed some of the words, but here's the way I take it. At first, as a parent, you're an absolute caretaker. First two years, everything in their life, you know, centers around them. You serve their every whim. After that, you start changing some things. And, and you want to, to get them out of this self-centered mode and start centering them on obedience. And so in the second phase, you become the cop, all right? And for a few years, that goes on where you're just the absolute cop. But you're going to make a big mistake if you stay a cop because they're going to rebel against that. Eventually, you become a coach. And eventually after that, you become a counselor. Okay? You see, you're making that progression. Don't get stuck in one of these modes. And then when your children finally go away, actually what you end up being is you're just the consultant. In fact, um, our speaker a couple weeks ago said this, 
unsolicited advice to adult children is always taken as criticism. So despite the fact that I still would like to run my children's life, I am now their consultant. And yeah, if they ask me what I think about it, then, then I'm going to chime in. So you want to take them through that progression. So, you know, this dependency, though, can go too far. We, we have a description, a common description in our world of what a parent is like who hovers over everything their child does. What do we call that? Yeah, show the picture, man. We got a helicopter, man. I'm some of you, your children in college, and you're talking to them three days a week. Some of them, you monitor everything that they do. And you just continue to helicopter over their life. And we know that's dangerous. That's not preparing. Actually, Kelsey, sitting up here on the third row, taught me a new term last week in life group. And this one, I think, is what we've even become worse than helicopter parents. We have become lawnmower parents. What does that mean? That means that, you know, not only am I hovering over them, but I'm going ahead and I'm cutting the grass in front of them. I'm going to have every barrier down. I don't, want, I don't want them to deal with hurt. I don't want them to deal with rejection. So I'm going, to, I'm going to go in front of them. And guys, that is so extremely dangerous. Now, it may feel good, but the problem is you're not preparing them for life. There's nobody else that's going to brother the lawnmower in front of them. They're going to face weeds. They're going to face obstacles. They're going to face dads. You know, they're going to face it all, okay? So this is... One of the best statements ever made at Gridiron years and years ago was by one of our speakers, Brad McCoy. He said these words. I hope you'll write these down. You need to prepare the child for the path, not prepare the path for the child. You see, when I prepared the path, I'm not getting them ready for life. What I want to do is build a character in them that allows them to face whatever life brings to them. So, I need for them to be dependent, but I also have got to be working toward independence. Bring them up. Raise them. What Paul's saying here, God's saying, bring them to a point gradually so that they're independent. Now, there's a danger here, too. You can push your children out too quickly. You can give them too much independence. You can grant it to them at an age where they're not ready. I remember a great family. Used to be a part of this year. Love these people, godly parents. But when their teenagers were teenagers, they had no curfew. Parents had no clue of what time their children were coming in and coming out. My friends, that is independence way too quickly, and it led to disasters. And so you've got to bring them to be dependent, but also you need them to be independent. Let's go deeper. Now, why in the world would I raise them to be dependent, to be too dependent? What is it within me that would want me to do that? Here's the answer, guys. It's my own neediness. It feels good to me for my children to need me. And, and that's why often I was probably that, that, that parent. In fact, my wife says that I tied my son Luke's shoes until fifth grade. That is not true. <laughs> it was fourth grade, Okay. Because you know, it was just something good. I love tying the kids' shoes, you know. And that was, that was way too, because it felt good. And it feels good to you for your children to need you for everything. But you're not going to be around forever. On the other hand, why would I raise them to be too independent? Where I'm pushing them out quickly. And I, here's the answer for that one is selfishness. Because to raise your children and to teach them takes time. 
And it's going to change your schedule. Listen to this, guys. The, the millennial generation has the lowest birth rate in our nation's history, okay? Most people thought that was only because of the recession. In the recession, people didn't want to have kids because they weren't going to have enough money. But the recession's been over for years, and guess what? The birth rate has not gone up. And what we found out through research is the reason they don't want to have children is because they don't want them to bother their schedule. Number one reason I don't want to have children is because, and here 36% of millennials say, I don't want them to interrupt my leisure time. That's just downright selfishness. So, I need to raise them to be dependent at some point, but to grow them into independence, but not too quickly. And then the overall thing can be summed up in point number three, raise them in the Lord. Here's the place. Your kids will not get there on their own. They're not going to get there on their own. They've got to be raised. Parents, listen to this. This is encouraging and also challenging. Who is the number one influence on your children? It's not their peers. It's not their school. It's not their coaches. And even way down the list is their church. The number one influence on your children are you. It's you. And so you've got to raise them. And here's the point I want to make. They need instructions. We've got a crazy thing going on in America where there are certain parents who say, you know what, I'm not going to tell my children what to believe. I'm just going to let them come to their own conclusions. I'm not going to impose my morals on them. Guys, that all goes back to that idea that morals are relative, that what you think is right and wrong is for you, and what I think is right and wrong is for me. The truth is there's an eternal standard. And guess what? Studies say Parents who raise their children without moral absolutes are exasperating to their children because their children grow up rudderless. They do not have an idea of right or wrong. They're going through life unprotected by mistakes they should be learning they shouldn't do, but they've got to learn it just through the College of Hard Knocks. God says, you need to teach them. I want to show you the... The greatest passage in the Bible about teaching your children. Just listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Now he gets into parenting. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Boy, I wish we had time to dive deeper into that. But there's some things that we learn. Guys, God said, you're in charge of teaching. Not the church, not the school. You're number one in charge of teaching. Now, how should you teach? Three things I see here. First of all, it's got to be personal. He says it's got to be on your heart. I love this saying, guys. Character is more caught than taught, okay? The greatest thing you could do for your children to be raised in the Lord is for you to live for the Lord. Because I'm telling you, 
They know where your priorities are. They know where your heart is. They can read that. And so, first of all, you need to make it personal before you ever... The, the worst, most exasperating thing for you to do is try to push a faith on your children that you're not living yourself. And the second, it's got to be intentional. God knows nothing about this business of let them decide what they think. Every study says that's been a disaster. You are to impress this on You can't make them in the long run. But while you've got them in your home and you've got the opportunity, you impress it. And then here's what I love about this. It's got to be continual. He says you talk about it when you're walking. You talk about it when you're sitting down. You talk about it in every area of life. You talk about it at home. You talk about it away from home. You see, the best teaching is done in the moment. You, you, you could divide teaching into this way. There is what we call just-in-case teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm throwing you a lot of information. Hopefully, when you need this information, it's going to pop up in your head and help you. That's nice. That's what we do. But a better form of teaching is just-in-time teaching. It's in the moment. It's in the moment when your child's been done wrong by a peer that you've got to teach them forgiveness. It's in the moment when they start dating where you're going to do the best lessons on morality. It's when that family member dies that you're going to have the better opportunity than I'll ever have to teach them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the best teaching is in the moment. And that's why he says the most important thing is not just they be in Sunday school or you have family devotionals. Those are important. The most important thing is what you do moment by moment as things come up. So here's one thing I challenge you to do. As issues come up, go to Scripture. As issues come up, stop and pray about it. Because that's when they're going to be most alert and attentive to learn. So I've given you a lot of stuff. You go, buddy, this is, um, boy, this is almost overwhelming. And it is. How can I be a confident parent then? Because, listen, what I've taught you today about parenting is not black and white. I mean, we've got a balance between discipline and dialogue. Two very different things. We've got a balance between dependence and independence, there's no clear black and light, white rules about this. And we don't really like that. But you know what this brings? It brings something we need even worse. What we actually need is wisdom. Wisdom when I just discipline and when I do dialogue. When I don't and when I do. When I allow them to be dependent on me and when I say, hey, man, this is your issue you've got to deal with. That takes wisdom. So how in the world are we going to get that? So let's finish out by two keys to confident parenting that I hope will encourage you. First of all, we're going to get it when we're guided by the Holy Spirit. Please understand this little passage we've been looking at out of Ephesians 6 is in the context of Ephesians 5 of being filled with the Spirit. What Paul is saying is being filled with the Spirit doesn't always lead to some crazy, wild experience. Being filled with the Spirit will change the way you treat your spouse. Ephesians 5. Being filled with the Spirit will change the way you raise your children. So, where do we get wisdom from? The Bible says any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God gives generously. How does God plant wisdom in you? Through the Holy Spirit. And so what we must be doing, guys, is we must constantly be praying that the Spirit will help balance us. 
That the Spirit will over, you know, because most of us, you know, we go one way or the other. We either way over discipline or we way under discipline, just, just for that illustration. That's your natural person. Man, I, I'm responding, you know, to things that happened in my past that, that said to me, you know what, I don't want to be disciplined like that. And so I responded way on the other side. That's my natural man. That's not right. I need the spirit man. And the spirit man's going to help me. He's going to help you to be correct in those areas. So you're guided by the spirit, but this is so important. You must be grounded in the gospel. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts everything in my life. Now, what is the gospel? It's because of what Jesus did for me and you on the cross, I am simultaneously perfect in the eyes of God and yet imperfect in my life. Perfect in the eyes of God and imperfect in my life. So the gospel helps me deal with these issues. If I under discipline, it's because I want approval for my children. And guys, the truth is, he's not saying here you'll never make your children angry. Any relationship where at some point you have to say, I don't like what you did, is going to make somebody angry. What he's saying is here is you won't, don't want them to live in a disposition of anger. It's different with a child being angry and having an angry child. So, so how can I overcome under-discipline? It's because I know that I've already been approved by God. I'm not looking for my security from my mate, from my child, from anybody else. My security's in God. And out of that, I can live through those periods where my children are pretty mad at me. How about if I under-discipline? You know why we under, I mean, excuse me, if I over-discipline? What, what if I, you know why we over-discipline? It's because we're expecting perfection of our children. We can't handle their failure. And we think it's a reflection on us. But the truth is, you're not perfect. Your children aren't perfect. And for you to hold them to a standard of perfect is not in line with the gospel. Nobody's going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. So that will guard you about over-discipline. How about what would guard you about keeping your children dependent? Well, we need to be needed. The truth is, many of us are trying to get from our children what we can only get from Jesus Christ. How about if I've got the problem if I push them out too soon? And the truth is, parenting drives me crazy because it interrupts my leisure time. I'm selfish. Nothing will get you out of selfishness more than the good news of Jesus Christ. That the greatest life ever lived gave his life up for you. And that really parenting in many ways is giving your life up for somebody else. It knocks the selfishness out of you. So, Whitney Houston was right. We all need a hero. Whitney Houston was right. We need someone to look up to. Whitney Houston was right. We need someone to fulfill us. But Whitney Houston was wrong. It's not found in you or anybody else. What you do need is a hero, someone to look up to, someone who will support you and fulfill your needs, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus truly is the greatest love of all. And my friends, listen closely to me. This applies to everybody in this room. 
When you make Jesus the greatest love of your life above anybody else, all your other relationships will get better. Because number one, you'll get what you need from him. You're not begging for it from somebody else. And number two, you'll learn how to treat people the way he's treated you. And he's the greatest. So this morning, if you don't have that love, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, if you're ready to declare that he's the greatest love of your life, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?